Thank you so much uh, for bringing us here together where we can worship um, and praise who you are. Thank you that we can sing songs and hymns and be reminded of the simple truth that we are loved and cared for by the God of the universe. Um, I pray for this morning, I pray that what is from me, everybody forgets super fast, but what is from you um, will be reminded into eternity. So we'll bless this time. We love you in Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. You guys may take a seat. All right. Well, welcome. Uh, if we haven't introduced, if, if you've never met me, uh, say hi afterwards. But my name is Alex Holroyd. I, I get the privilege of kind of filling in uh, for Taylor. If you're wondering when is Taylor coming back, next week. All right. Get excited. Um, now, when Taylor misses like one week, he comes back like fierce, all right? He's been gone for four weeks, so just get ready. Like next week, my man, he's going to bring something, all right? So uh, excited to kind of be up here. We're finishing a series on dwell. Uh, we've been in John 15 for the last three weeks. Um, and if, just a reminder, John 15 is this beautiful passage where Jesus is heading out to the cross, and he's talking to his disciples, and he goes, hey, it's kind of his imparting wisdom, and I love what he says 11 times in uh, 12 verses. He says, hey, I want you to remain. I want you to abide. Abide in me. Remain in me. He doesn't say go do. All right, I need you. here's the list. I'm getting ready to go on. You know, I'm getting ready to leave. Here's the giant list of things I need you to do. Uh, he goes, no, no, I need you to abide. I need you to remain. And then we're going to come up to this last passage. It's going to be in Hebrews uh, chapter 4 we'll be in. And he's going to talk about resting, which I think is a great word as we get ready um, to dive into the fall. This fast pace that always seems to come once like mid-August hits or when you go and you buy the back-to-school supplies. We have a, a first grader for the first time. I didn't realize what back-to-school supplies were. Like it's been a while. Wow. Dave Ramsey and I, we need a budget for that. You know what I mean? Like that is more expensive than I thought. Um, but we are going to dive into Hebrews 4 before uh, this fast-paced fall hits us. And have you ever read, uh, maybe it's a book, maybe it's a piece of scripture that you read and you're like, ooh, it's speaking to me. Like I, I know what it's saying. Like, oh, that's so good. Like it's so easy. It's just right there. Like I don't need to do a lot of digging. Like it, it just makes sense. Um, Hebrews 4 is not that passage, all right? It's not. Like it's, we're, it, it, we got to kind of dig into this one, all right? Uh, a wise man once said, you rake for leaves, but you dig for diamonds, all right? So we're going to be digging for some diamonds today, all right? So get ready, diamond hands. That is a reference to anybody who owns stock and is under the age of 35. Don't worry about that. But anyway, um, we are going to dive in. We're going to dig for some diamonds because there's something beautiful here. And so we're going to read through it. Uh, I'm going to go through all of Hebrews 4, 1 through 11. And you can kind of enjoy with me and go, what exactly is this author trying to say? So here we go. Hebrews 4, chapter 1, page 1002. Right? Hey, if you have my Bible, ESV has got this little fire thing. That's my page number. I don't know what yours is. Uh, but if you just open the Bible, kind of go to the right for a while, you'll find Hebrews. Um, so here we go. Verse 1. Uh, Therefore... While the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest. As he said, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. 
Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he somewhere spoken on the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his work. And again, the passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. And again, he appoints a certain day today, saying through David, so long afterward in these words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would have not spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest will also be rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest and no one, uh, so that no one may fail, my, may, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. All right. So when did I lose you? Was it the time that he says, I'm going to give you rest? And then he quotes Psalm 95 saying, and I will not give you rest. All right. So like, you read this and you're going, all right, I know it's about rest. And apart from that, I have no idea what he's talking about. All right. It, it feels a little bit that because he's trying to convey these three types of rest, which we'll talk about. But then he goes to the Old Testament and he's telling you stories from like Genesis and creation, talking about the seventh day, the Sabbath day. And then he, he quotes Psalm 95, which he keeps saying, and you will not enter my rest. And you're like, I thought I was supposed to enter your rest. And right after you said, I am going to enter your rest. Now I'm not entering my rest. And, and then he goes and quotes like, talks about Joshua and how like he gave them rest, but not really. And so you're like, Amen. I will go and do this now, right? Like, what does this mean? And so um, I, here's how we're going to break this down. We're going to break it down to three points because that's what you do in sermons. Sometimes you do four, but then you lose them. So we're going to go three, and then I have a whole bunch of sub points, right? Um, so what we're going to dive into, these three points, is this. One, why do we need rest? Like, what's this big deal? Like, why is he so uptight about rest? Why is he talking to us about rest? Why do I need that? The second thing is, what is the rest that's offered here? You're like, it sounds like I want it, I think, right? I mean, rest would be good. Um, so what is the rest that's being offered is point two. And the third one is, so how do I get this rest? So why do I need it? What is it? And how do I get it? All right. Hey, here's my hope for this morning. My hope is that today is not just another Sunday. That maybe you come in here, you write some good little nuggets down. You're like, oh, that was really great. And then you leave and, you know, we go about our weeks. Uh, I hope we encounter the God of the universe this morning that something changes today, that something in our heart gets open to this idea that we've always been created for. So lean in with me. Uh, my little ones, including my little one front, hey, I hope you don't check out within the first 10 minutes, but if you do, it's okay. All right, I understand that. Um, but here we go. Okay, so this first thing, why do we need rest? I'm gonna read back verse four. It says, although, chapter four, verse four, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, God rested on the seventh day from all his works. Um, I love this little like tug and cheek he's doing. He's like, I don't know, like somewhere it is written that God rested. And it's like, I mean, the author, if you didn't know, is Hebrew, is the title. And he's talking to Hebrews. And he's like, you know, God talked about rested. I don't know if you read that. Like everybody read that, right? But he's bringing our attention back to creation to talk about why do we need rest, 
And so you see in, in Genesis 1, you have that God creates, you know, he creates, the, you know, creates something in day one and says, it is good. And then he says, it was evening and morning on day one. And then he creates another thing and he says, it is good. And then he goes and says, and it was evening and morning on day two. And that goes all the way through six days. And on day six, it says he creates, uh, they decide to make God in his own image, right? In the image of uh, God, they created man, male and female. And then he says, it is very good. And then it was evening and morning on the sixth day. But then on the seventh day, God rested. It said he ceased. It's this word savat in Hebrew. It's, um, it's not just like he, it's he does, he, he, think of it this way. Um, like a, someone who, like a, someone who creates like marble artwork. Like think of like the David masterpiece. You know, to rest is like you stop chiseling. It's finished. It's good. Nothing needs to be added. Nothing needs to be taken away. It's not that he like physically is tired, right? It's not like God was like, "Woo, man, six days," which maybe were six hundred million years. Who knows, right? Um, and he's like, "Woo, that was hard work," and I am tired. All right, um, that's not what happened. But he enjoyed his creation because it was done. It was finished. It was good. It was shalom. It was perfect. It was exactly what it needed to be. Um, I was with. Uh, I lead this thing called Young Life. Uh, it's super fun with high schoolers. And about three years ago, we were um, hanging out in, in our meeting. We call it club. And so uh, I was taking one of my friends to McDonald's. We all hang out at McDonald's afterwards on, on a Monday night. And uh, me and this kid, Michael, uh, we're just kind of doing funny questions back and forth as we're driving in the car. You know, so I'm like, all right, Michael, like, would you rather have bananas for fingers or like strawberries for fingers? And he's like, dude, bananas, because I, I hate getting sticky. And for some reason, I want bananas. That didn't make sense to me, but he wanted the bananas, right? And uh, and, and so when you're in high school, you just kind of ask weird questions like that. That's a little bit what you do. And he's like, Alex, if you're on a deserted island, you get one book. What do you take? Um, and so we're doing this back and forth. And, and we're at McDonald's now. We're waiting in line to get our McFlurries. Um, and, you know, guess what? The ice cream machine was down. And, uh, and anyway, uh, that's neither here nor there. But uh, I ask him, hey, Michael, you get one question. God calls you on the phone. What do you ask? Uh, and his eyes got heavy. And he said, I'd ask God why do you make me a mistake? Oh. It was the greatest privilege uh, to sit down with him at a 9.30 at night on a Monday at McDonald's and hear his whole story. And as we were talking, I, I couldn't help but go back to Genesis 1 and go, hey, hey, Michael, I need you to know this. When you were created, God says it was good. In fact, he says it was very good. I need you to know that's the most truest thing about yourself. Someone wrote this poem one time and said, help me to believe the truth about myself, no matter how beautiful it is. Um, see, for Michael, he, he took this idea um, that he went to other, he, the, the most important question we could ask, who am I? He went to other people, other things to ask that. And God is saying, no, 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 you come to me. The whole point of rest is that we stop and you realize that your worth is not in what you can accomplish, not what you do, but it's in me. Your worth is not in your production. It's in me. I mean, think of the, okay, when Moses wrote this, he's taking the Israelites. They have been slaves for the past 400 years. Okay, for slaves, um, there's no time off, right? Like you're working 24-7. And then you'll read later, it's like, what did they do? They built bricks. So their production, their worth is in what they could produce. 
And so as he's writing this account, he's reminding the Israelites, hey, your value is not in what you produce. Your value is in me, the creator who created you. You need to understand this. The author of Hebrews is is bringing us back to go, we need to stop, we need to rest, because we need to be reminded our value is not what we do, but in who we are, and more importantly, whose we are. And so we keep reading Ezekiel 20, verse 12. He says this, Moreover, I gave them my Sabbath as a sign between me and them that they might know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. He goes, hey, I gave you the Sabbath to remind you that I am God and you are not. I am the one who sanctifies you. I am the one who cleanses you. I am the one who cleans you, not you. Oh, it's such an important truth for us to know. The reason why he creates rest is for us to rest in him. And here's one more part, Genesis 2.15. So after he talks about um, resting, stopping, he says this, Genesis 2.15, the Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Okay, just in case you were kind of tuning me out as like, I'm, yeah, I'm a millennial. Um, I don't know if we bash on those anymore, but sometimes we do. Uh, but if you're like, oh, you just don't want to work. No, like right here, work is pre-fall. We are called to work. That is a good thing. But notice this. When he says put him in the garden, that word, this Hebrew word is noach, which is translated as rest. He rested him in the garden as a a way to translate that. So know this. He rests him in the garden to be in a relationship with God. That's what he was created for. And the byproduct was work. Okay, no, that order is so important. Rest. Rest in the relationship with God, and from that, work flows. It's not the opposite way around. Right? James would talk about that of faith and works. Faith, works comes from the faith. We don't do works to get the faith. Right? It's this idea that's constantly being told that we need to rest in who God is and who he says we are. And so we had this unbelievable Garden of Eden. Things are going great. We're resting. We're walking together. If you can say it like that, probably not. Um, but we're resting with God. And guess what? Three pages into this thing, we just blow the whole thing up. All right? Immediately, we're in this beautiful relationship with God. And what happens? Uh, we get, Adam and Eve get tempted with the idea uh, that God says, you can have whatever you want, but just don't eat of this tree because it will kill you. Um, And they believe this lie from Satan, which is this. uh, God's withholding from you. Don't believe him. He's not good. No, he's withholding from you. He's not a good God. And that's what they believed. And because of that, what happens? They get kicked out of the rest. They get kicked out of the presence of Eden. They get taken out of the rest. And we're forever trying to get back in. And this becomes, I mean, here's the point of why I think the author of Hebrews is bringing you back to Genesis is this, that you were created for rest. The answer to why do I need rest? You were created for rest in a relationship with God. That is the most true thing. It's, it's why you get this question happens all the time. For, for me, I'm sure it happens to you. Man, if I just had blank, fill in the blank, if I just had blank, then I would feel Oh, life would be better, or it would be easier, or be more satisfied. I, I would feel, quote-unquote, rest. Hey, if, I, if my job gave me more significance, I'd finally feel like I'm worth something. One of my good friends, uh, he was adopted, and the one thing, uh, I thought it was a courageous thing to tell me, he says, I'm always feeling I have to justify that I was worth adopting. That's a heavy burden to carry. 
And yet we feel this. I have to prove that I'm worth being alive. I have to prove that I am somebody. And we take that question, if I just had blank, and we fill it with work, we fill it with relationships. Oh, if I just date the right person, I just marry the right person, if my spouse would just behave better, then finally I'd feel like I belong. I'd feel like things are great. Or, man, if I just had a little bit more money, you know, I'd finally feel secure. These desires of significance, um, security, uh, belonging are God-given desires. But what happens is those are infinite desires that were filled by God. And when we left Eden, we now go to finite things to fill it. We now go to this creation to fill a God-sized hole that will never work. It's like taking pebbles and throwing them into the Grand Canyon. Because our hearts are constantly looking to get back to the rest with God. I don't know if you guys are friends or love Disney. I like Disney. And so uh, the Disney movie Hercules, great movie, all right? Not that I'm quoting a Greek god or anything here um, because he was half god. Anyway, um, in the song, in the opening song, he says this, I have often dreamed of a far off place that a great warm welcome will be waiting for me. We're honest, I think that's the cry of our hearts, that we are longing to get back to the place where ultimate rest can be found. Um, it says, uh, C.S. Lewis said this, I find myself a desire which nothing in this world can satisfy. The only explanation is that it was made for another world. I find myself a desire which this world can't satisfy. That means I must be created for another world. He said that in mere Christianity. Um, you see, we're constantly looking to get back. I don't know if you guys remember this interview. It was with Tom Brady in 60 Minutes. It was like 14 years ago. That guy needs to get out of the NFL. All right, the fact that there was an interview from 14 years ago where he already won three Super Bowls and he was already a Hall of Famer at that time is crazy. All right, but I remember it still. So this, this 60 Minutes interview, this guy is talking to Tom Brady. And he says, Tom, man, you've arrived. You have three Super Bowls, two MVPs, married to a supermodel, and you have more money than you know what to do with. Wow. And Tom's answer is surprising. He goes, man, I hope not. It's like, what? What do you mean I hope not? And he goes, I just can't help but think there's got to be more to life than this. Go check it out. It's still on YouTube um, from like 2005. But he says, there's got to be more to life than this. You see, we would go and say, you've achieved it. You've done everything. You have achieved what it means to like fulfill your life. And he goes, if that's what it is, it's not working. Here's Madonna. Um, didn't think we were going to quote Madonna today, did you? All right, in Vogue magazine, this is fascinating. She says, my drive in life comes from a fear of being mediocre. That is always pushing me. I push past one spell and I discover myself as a special human being. But then I feel I'm still mediocre and uninteresting unless I do something else. Because even though I've become somebody, I still have to prove that I am somebody. My struggle has never ended, and I guess it never will. I mean, that's exactly what we're talking about. There is this deep desire to feel this ultimate rest that we were created with God, and we keep trying to fill it with finite things. We keep trying to fill it with creation when it was meant to be filled by the Creator, and it will never give us the rest we're looking for. Uh, um, Augustine has this awesome quote in Confessions. He says, Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until it finds rest in thee. He says, our hearts, it's restless. And the only way it's going to find rest is rest in him. So why do we need rest? You were created for it. 
a deeper rest, not just a physical, I need to stop working rest, but a rest where our, we can finally go and say, I, I know I can put down my, my doing um, and know who I am. Okay, so but what is that rest that's offered to us? All right, so as we go through Hebrews, verse 6, it says, Since therefore it remains uh, for some to enter it, those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of their disobedience. He's going back to this idea of rest where he's talking to Moses. He's kind of bringing this idea because he quotes Psalm 95 uh, of the, the restlessness that was the Israelites in the wandering desert. And he's going, I'm promising you the promised land, which is rest. It's rest from having to go from place to place to place, from not having a home. I'm creating a home for you. I want you to physically rest there. So the first thing that he is offering us when it comes to rest is there is a physical rest that the God of the universe, that in Hebrews, he's trying to remind us, we need to do that. Um, I can't think of anything that's more un-American than the idea of rest. Um, I read this article that says we're the most overworked nation in the world. That's crazy. Um, I'll give you a whole bunch of funny stats of like how like we work like a whole month more than people in France and all that stuff, but um, it's just funny. But... Um, the idea that we're so overworked, the idea of physical rest, the idea of taking a Sabbath, like a legit once a week Sabbath is like unheard of. Like I remember so many times we, we kind of uh, will go like, oh yeah, like I haven't taken a vacation in three years. And you're like, I haven't eaten a banana in four days. Like what does that mean? Like why are you, why is that a compliment? Like it means like, like here's the thing, Sabbath is a commandment. Like, that's one of the Ten Commandments. You know, as a culture, we're not going around saying, yeah, yeah, like, adultery is great, murder is great, those are commandments, and yet we think not resting is great. Like, when we do the interviews, it's like, what's your weakness? My weakness is I work too hard. Okay, right? Like, that's what we always tell ourselves, um, because to be lazy is frowned upon. And we can say rest can be lazy, and we just miss it. So one, one thing I want to say is he's offering us, and we need to have rest, I mean, these are the conversations you have with people. You go, hey, man, how you doing? They go, oh, I'm doing good, doing good. Because uh, you wouldn't say, oh, man, I'm horrible. Everything's awful. Because that just gets weird. Um, but sometimes you do. It's great. And then you get coffee and talk about it. But if you're just quickly saying, oh, man, things are good, the next thing you say is, oh, yeah, but I'm just busy. Oh, I'm just real busy. Uh, I'm guilty of this, right? And then what, how do you respond? Oh, yeah, me too. Like super busy. You wouldn't respond with, yeah, things are actually great, like kind of nice and slow paced. Like, I'm sorry, you're busy, but I feel fine. Like, you feel like you have to justify that you're busy because they're busy, right? Um, and so this idea of taking physical rest once a week, taking a Sabbath. All right, here's what's so interesting. Uh, so we started doing this in our family uh, this past year, and I'll, I'll be honest, we're not great at it. All right, so we're, we're working on this thing. All right, so I'm not up here saying we're, we're killing this at all. But we're trying to do this thing where we're taking a Sabbath. And so we learned this from a friend. So on Friday nights, um, starting at nighttime, is when we start our Sabbath. And we started at night because for the Jewish calendar, this is fascinating, their day starts in the evening. Why? Because in Genesis 1, it says, um, you know, when they did this, it was good. And then he said, um, it was evening and then it was morning. He always starts with evening and then it was morning. Because what happens when you start your morning, what's the first thing you do? You get to work. What's the first thing you do in the evening? You rest. 
That is a deeper thing he's trying to tell you. So anyway, we're starting this thing. We're doing Sabbath at our house, uh, and it starts on Friday night, and we have a delicious food where it's normally like a frozen pizza, but I love a good frozen pizza, all right? And uh, it's something that's just low-key. It's easy. We have a great dessert, um, and then we'll, like, watch a movie that night, and here's what we kind of tell our girls. Hey, there's four things we do on Sabbath, and it's this. One, we rest. Two, we don't work. Three, Wow. One, we rest. Two, we don't work. Three, this is the most important one, we play. And fourth, we remind ourselves that God loves us. So one, rest. Two, don't work. Three, we play. And four, we remind ourselves that God loves us. And then this is how the practical part starts. Um, that night, our girls, we had this like, uh, it's a playroom that's really a dining room. If you walk into our house, it's the dining room. And so there's no way to hide it. It's just a mess. And so we make them clean it up. Okay, they're like three. Okay, so we help clean it up every night. But on Sabbath, we rest. We don't clean it up. And then in the morning, we always make our beds. But you know what we don't do in the morning on Sabbath? We don't make our beds. We just rest. Why? Because of this. Simply because of this. When I see the mess that's in that house, I see the mess that is my bed, I'm reminded of this. God loves me in my mess. It's just a simple reminder it's not holy. It, it, it doesn't make you more holier to do Sabbath, but it's saying my worth is in the God of the universe and not my doing. And so we rest. Oh, now it's hard, right? You see your bed and it looks all nasty. It's all over the place. You're like, oh, like I cringe. But it's a great reminder. It's a great reminder, y'all. Um, and so this idea that we are physically resting is one thing he's trying to convey here, but it's not the only thing. So in verses 8 through 10, he says, For if Joshua had given him rest... God would not have spoken of another day later on. And so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his work just as God did. And so here we are seeing this idea of Sabbath rest. Okay, he says rest eight different times in the same Greek word here. But this last one, the Sabbath rest, is a completely new word. He kind of, kind of made it up. Um, in this sense, what he's saying is there's a deeper rest that your heart needs to get back to. It's the rest, what Augustine was saying, I'm restless until I find rest in you. It's the rest that is back into the relationship with God. We need to put down our achieving, our working to try to earn God's favor. We need to rest and know we already have been given it. But there's only one way that could be possible to happen. Because remember, we got kicked out of the garden all right, we, we were taken out of God's rest. There's this thing of death, this penalty that had to be paid for, and so we were taken out of it. But we need to be reminded that our identity and our worth is not in our doing or what we've done. And here's a great verse in Deuteronomy, um, Deuteronomy uh, 7, 6 through 8. It says, God, for you are the people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all of the peoples on the face of the earth um, to be his people. His treasured possession. The Lord did not set his affection on you or choose you because you were more numerous than other people, for you were the fewest of all of them. All right, so he's going, hey, I want you to know this. I chose you. All right, really important. I chose you. And the reason I chose you is not because you were great. It's not because you were like an awesome people group. All right, it's not because you had cool powers or I really need to use your skills. He goes and says this, but because the Lord loved you. I chose you because I loved you. 
fascinating if you think about this. If your spouse goes, hey, why do you love me? And you answer, oh, I love you because you're just beautiful. Man, you're just beautiful. You know what's going to happen? Your spouse is going to put all their identity making sure they look beautiful. Oh, my husband or my you know, what, husband or wife, they love me if I look good. I got to make sure I look good. All right? Or if you say, hey, I love you because you're funny. Oh, I got to make sure that I'm funny enough. Or I got to put my identity to make sure they love me if I'm funny enough. But if you respond, honey, I love you because I love you then they can't put their identity anywhere else but you. We do this thing with our girls at night. We'll say, hey, um, Addie, man, I'm so proud of you uh, because you helped clean up the playroom. You did a great job. Hey, Nora, I'm so proud of you. You didn't bite anybody today. That was great. All right, um, Charlie, great job. You didn't bite your sister. That was great. You know, so we'll tell them these things, but then we'll end it the same way every night. We'll say, but do you know what mommy and daddy are most proud of you for? And they'll say, because I'm your daughter. That's right. You can't unearn that. You didn't do anything to become my daughter. You just are. And it's a reminder to them, I want them to know, we'll never be proud of you because you do X, Y, and Z. The most thing, we couldn't be more proud of you just because you're ours. And God is telling us the same thing in Deuteronomy. All right, so that the question is, if we're trying to get this ultimate rest that I am loved, I'm trying to get back to the rest that is the relationship with God, the question then becomes, how do I get it? Like, how do I get that rest? All right, here's how we're kind of landing the plane. Go back to Hebrews 4, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, while the promise of entering the rest still stands, let us, um, let us fear, lest any of, uh, any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as it was to them. But the message they heard was not, had no benefit because they were not united by faith. All right, here it comes. But for we who have believed, enter that rest. How do we enter the rest? How do we enter the eternal relationship? By eternal, I don't just mean heaven. I mean like right now, today. How do I enter that rest? I believe in the gospel. I believe what Jesus did on the cross. I believe what he did for me. And I want to explain that a little bit more because that could be like Bible language. You're like, the gospel, like it's just a blanket statement we just throw on things. But what does that mean when I say, when we believe in the gospel? Um, Matthew eleven twenty eight, Jesus comes and he says, come, uh, see, Jesus writes this and Jesus says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Jesus came, John 1.14, it said, as we just quoted earlier, to, to dwell among us, to reveal who the Father is. And most importantly, he came to give us full rest. The rest that's not just physical, it's spiritual, it's eternal. It's rest knowing that my relationship is back with the God of the universe. But how is that possible? Like physically, like how did that happen? Okay, reminded, it was in the Garden of Eden that it was the disobedience of Adam and Eve that took us out of the rest. But it was in the Garden of Gethsemane where it was the obedience of Jesus that allowed us to get back into the rest. See, it was in the Garden of Gethsemane when he was tempted, when Jesus was tempted by Satan to go and think, hey, there's got to be another way. He even prays to the Lord, like, hey, there's another way to get out of this. Like, let me know. And he's met with silence. And he's, he's met with this idea, do I trust my father that he's good? And unlike Adam, he says yes. And that leads him to the cross. 
And on the cross, what happens? Jesus, for the first time in his life, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because for the first time, he experienced restlessness. He experienced being taken away from God's rest. Why? So that we could enter into it. He substituted himself for us. He said, I will take on the restlessness so you can enter the full rest, which you were always created for. That is good news. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says this, uh, Jesus, who knew no sin, he was perfect, who knew no sin, became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. It's called the great reversal. God, he, Jesus, who had this perfect rest with God, became restless so that we who were restless could become and had the rest with God. This eternal rest, this rest that says, I love you, you are my son and daughter, no matter what you've done, because I paid for this. You have been forgiven for this. You were brought back into the relationship, which you were always created for. Um, but did you see there's a warning in this, and this is such a big warning for us. He gives this example in Deuteronomy, uh, sorry, in um, uh, he gives his example back in, uh, back in Exodus when he's talking to Moses. And he says, hey, I gave you the promised land, but you didn't believe me. Like they sent in Numbers 14, they sent some people to go check out this promised land. And they came back and they're like, dude, it's awesome. It's great. And some other guys said, yeah, but there's like six, five guys in there and they're going to destroy us. And God's like, what? I just parted the Red Sea. You're worried about some tall people in here? Come on now. And they go, yeah, no, we are. And so then he makes them wander in the desert for 40 years because they didn't trust him. The warning for us is this. I don't believe that it's enough just to believe in Jesus. I think I have to earn it a little bit. I got to pay him back. It's got to be Jesus plus going to church. Jesus plus being a better parent. Jesus plus being a better spouse. Jesus plus reading my Bible, doing my F-250 plan. Jesus plus memorizing scripture. We add so much to the Jesus that we don't believe in the gospel which was originally given to us, which is Jesus plus nothing equals rest. Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. If you can understand that, you can enjoy the work of which you were always created to do because you're not looking to work to give you some type of significance. You've already been significant. The God of the universe calls you son and daughter. What could be more significant than that? What could be more secure than the fact that God of the universe calls you his? I mean, it says in Romans 8, like, if God's, like, when he talks about Romans 8, he talks about who can separate you from the love of God? No one. It's God. There's no one more powerful than God. What's more secure than that? What's more belonging than the fact that God of the universe calls you son, calls you daughter? Nothing. He's the only one that can fill the infinite, go the infinite hole that's in our lives. And so uh, I want to end on this, uh, last pa or this last part, because I think it's great. It says in verse 7, he says, again, uh, he appoints a certain day today, saying through David, so long afterward, in his words, I already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. He's saying today, don't wait for tomorrow. Today, the offer of real rest is for you. If you're coming here, you're like, hey, I don't believe in Jesus or anything. One, we're so glad you're here. Two, I want you to know the offer stands for you. Come, experience real rest. Stop looking to other people and other things to give you significance. You're already been, it's already been given through Jesus. And if you're coming here going, hey, like, that's great. I've just fallen away from that. Like, I do daily. 
That's why it says in verse 11, he says, strive that you may enter that rest. Because we're constantly going to back to our default mode, which is I can do it on my own. I can work hard enough. I can pay him back for this. And he's going, stop it. Strive to believe that God really is that good. Strive to believe, as John Newton said, that his grace really is that amazing. We'll have people in the back to pray. Hey, I encourage you, go back there and pray with people. Go back there and say, hey, Lord, I I repent of my unbelief. I want to come back. Or maybe you're going, I just need some help and some prayers. Here's the funny thing. We always get worried to go back there and pray because we're worried like, oh, someone sees me. They're going to think something's wrong with me. Newsflash, there is, right? We're all in church saying, I'm really broken and I need Jesus' help. But I'm not going back there to pray because I'm not that broken. Stop it. All right, we all need that. And so I just encourage you, go back there, get prayed for. Gosh, that's a great thing. That's not something to be ashamed of. We all need it. That's the whole point of the gospel. I encourage us to experience this ultimate rest. So right when I pray, we're going to take communion. Uh, the worship team's going to come up here, and, uh, and this is how we do communion here. If you are a, follow, a follower, a believer of Jesus, uh, the communion table is open to you. Um, what we're going to do is everyone's going to um, come up on this side. You'll go down the aisle, come over here, and go back to your seats. And on this side, you'll come down the aisle, go to this side of the communion table, and go back to your seats um, while we worship the last song. And if you're not, if you're going, hey, I'm not a believer, hey, so glad you're here. I would encourage you, don't take communion. I would encourage you to go back there and get prayed for. Maybe it's just something that's ailing you. Like, go back, get prayed. Maybe it's you want to understand, how do I actually accept this rest? Um, Hey, let me pray. Lord, thank you um, that you didn't ask us to come do more, but you asked us to come remain, abide, and you come to give us rest. Rest which actually satisfies. Uh, I pray for us that we'd experience that today. Lord, I need that today. I, I feel like I'm always on to the next thing and I never just stop. And forgive me for my unbelief in that. To be reminded that I'm not a savior, um, but I serve a greater savior. Uh, Lord, again, what is from me, no one wrote down. But what is from you, let be echoed on to eternity. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.